0: As everyone is being seated, I'd like to give my thanks to you all as a congregation because I've been gone for two weeks. I happen to be the ministry leader for Every Nation Churches. Every Nation is the organization under which this church finds its relational and organizational home. We're connected to over 2,500 churches worldwide. And my responsibility is America or North America. And so there are times which I must be gone to serve in those duties Uh, and it's really amplified during the football season because then I've got responsibility with the uh, Redskins in the area so I'm gone more than I wish but it's important for other voices to be heard it's important this church is not about me I realize that there are some things that I bring that make you come I get that but I shouldn't be the only thing that makes you stay We're much more than me In the the eye I can't say to the hand I have no need of you So there are hands here that need to serve In such a way that you feel their presence Whether it's Pastor Jim Or Stephen Mansfield Or Pastor Jim Lafoon, whoever comes You need to receive them as a part of our family And embrace The diversity that is us Thank you for your Not just tolerance But your acceptance of how we build It means a lot we're going to conclude our series on the Beatitudes today. So turn with me over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 10 and 11. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. The title of the message is Persecution, The Pathway to Blessing and Joy. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. Jesus is speaking, and he says... I want to concentrate on two things that Jesus did in this this passage. One, he talked about people who have been persecuted. And then he talked about what happens when you get persecuted. So stuff that happened in the past and stuff that might happen in the present and in the future. But let me define the term persecution first. The term in the Greek is diokos which means to be pursued. Now when you get right with God, welcome to the fight. It is a battle every day just to stay right. We can't do it on our own. Only the grace of God can get us right and keep us right. But we are responsible to participate with that grace through our obedience. And that allows us to not have to continually make mistakes from which we need to recover and drive our life into a ditch out of which the Holy Ghost tow truck can only pull us we're called to participate in that and it is a challenge every day to do the right thing Christianity is not complicated it is hard it is hard but it's not complicated love God, love people about as simple as it gets but doing it, obeying God when everything is telling you in your soul to go the other direction, and loving people who don't seem to be very lovable. It's hard. But as hard as it might be, I like this hard better than the consequences of my sin hard. I do. I'll choose this hard every day, every moment. Give me a choice. This hard is better. This is better. If, if you don't remember, do, 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 let me help you. Some recollection of waking up wondering whether this was going to meet you today. That thing you did last week, if somebody was going to, to, to let it appear on the internet. That thing you didn't want anybody to know, but somebody does. What are they going to do with the information? Sins were the things that you were concerned about constantly coming after you and overtaking you. But when you get right with God and you start living right, the word says in Psalm 23, goodness and loving kindness follow you, not the consequences of your sin any longer. I like this heart better than the heart I used to live when I didn't love Jesus. A lot better. So don't use any excuse, Pastor, I just don't know. It's a difficult life, not as difficult as the one you're living. That's really hard when you got to suffer for your misdeeds. That's hard. This is better. Not easy. And then once you say you're going to live right, there's an enemy that you just created that he used to be your ally. He used to help you do the wrong thing. But now that you're doing the right thing, he is pursuing you to try to get you back in his camp. And he's doing everything he possibly can to try to encourage you that this life is not worth living like this. Stop it. Don't go any further. Turn back. Remember me. Remember the good times. He never, listen, he always tells you what it felt like to be just a little buzzed, but he, he doesn't, he doesn't re- let you remember when you were hugging a toilet at 3 a.m. That part he just kind of selectively omits from the entire experience. Oh, it was great sleeping with her, but then you got a baby mama issue. Yeah, he doesn't remember, he doesn't let you remember that pursues you and persecution is part of it and and what we see about persecution and how Jesus framed it is almost contradictory blessed are you when people treat you bad blessed how can I be blessed if, if this horrible thing is happening to me I'm being insulted I'm being beat I lost my job. My friends don't want to be friends with me anymore. Lord, I'm supposed to feel blessed in this environment? Yes. But if you continue to only myopically look at your present circumstances, you will judge all of your life by this one moment rather than allowing all of your life to judge the one moment. And in consequence necessarily you'll accuse God of not helping you as much as he should you're mad you're upset I can't believe Lord you allowed me to go through this I gave you my life like God really benefited <laughs> you really did something hear me you were a waif an orphan he took you in it's not like you added a whole lot of value to who he was so there's no bit, there's no point in saying I gave you my life I took it. I I brought you in. You've been a problem since. Now that's the reality. That's the reality that he would share if he were not him. But he is him. So he doesn't say that to you. But we are a mess. We have issues. We rarely do the right thing. We rarely think the right thing. We are a liability to him. If he... If he did anything he asks us to do, he would do it better. And he wouldn't have to feel the need to explain why we didn't do it so well. But he doesn't even explain it. He just says, eh, that's okay. Eh, there's people. We are not his best option. The only reason he chose us is because he loves us. That's it. It's not because we were so competent. It's not because he couldn't do without us. Anything he asks asks us to do, he can do it infinitely better. He does it because he loves us. That's it. You remember all that. In the midst of your difficulty And you don't blame him for what you're going through You say oh you've been so merciful You've been so kind, you've been so gracious You have tolerated my weaknesses You have tolerated my sin, my bad thoughts My heart that leans in the opposite direction The fact that I ignored you for a couple of decades in my life And chose to walk right by the cross Without giving you any due That Lord is how I choose to judge this moment Rather than questioning Whether you really care about me Because I can't feel you now I choose to let what, you, what you've already done for me to find this moment meaning you sent your son to die for me what else do I need to know that you love me persecution makes your brain just go a little off when it it comes to whether you begin to trust God or not and so Jesus tries to give some perspective on how we need to view it so that we can see that when you are persecuted for righteousness sake That you are most blessed. You are more blessed than if you had not been persecuted. And he first starts with things that happened in the past. Now there's there's stuff that occurred back there that you probably have not yet reconciled. Why did this happen? And I I went through stuff and I had to give up stuff. And I just don't get it, Lord, because I haven't received all the benefit that I think I probably need to get from the stuff through which I went. Meaning it cost me a lot to go through that. And I don't think that the scales have really balanced yet. And I'm not quite sure how to view that past moment. Well, let me help you a little bit. John 15 verses 18 through 20 say this. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. The servant cannot be above his master. And Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Anyone who wants to live godly in this world will suffer persecution. So before you begin to think that something strange happened to you back then, that you must reconcile and resolve before you can really get back on track with God, because it doesn't make any sense back there yet, just remember, persecution is your inheritance. It's what you are supposed to experience. It's not some strange thing. And this is why Peter says in in, uh, 1 Peter 4, do not be concerned about persecution as if some strange thing has come upon you. This is our portion. But it's strange to us because we expect something different from God. And that our Western Christianity has morphed our minds into actually believing that we are supposed to receive material and spiritual blessing only and that without difficulty. When the early church never had that mindset. We have a heritage that we need to pull into our present reality in order to see the value of suffering. You ought to read a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's not real good devotional reading, but but it will help you because it's it's a guy named Fox who wrote a book on martyrs. Thus, Fox's Book of Martyrs. And these martyrs were early Christians, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th century Christians, who who gave their life for the cause of Christ. And the book is is pretty explicit to, to make you believe that the early church thought that if you had not experienced persecution, something was wrong with you. They really wondered whether you were a believer. Now, you say, well, pastors, is, is that correct? I mean, they're judging my Christianity by how much I suffer? Well, see, Paul wrote this one passage that we use to define our Christianity in Romans 10, 9 and 10. And, and we, we hear it and say it out of context and we receive it then with sometimes the wrong application because we're not quite sure how it was written and why. But Paul says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you believe in your heart that Christ has been raised from the dead and you confess with your mouth that you will be saved. You confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. For with the heart of man believes and with the mouth he confesses to righteousness. That's a powerful passage. I don't want to take anything away from it. I just want you to know what he really meant. See, he was writing to the Romans in the city of Rome. That beautiful city that 15 years later would take off Paul's head. That city where Peter was crucified and that upside down. That city that thought it was a good idea to throw people like us who were Christians to the lions for lunch. Lunch. That city that was occupied by a, 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 a emperor named Nero that blamed the entire fire of Rome on the Christians and he started it so that he could get all of society postured against the believers to kill him or get him out of the city and start something of a persecutorial effort throughout the entire Roman Empire these were the Romans to which Paul wrote that passage so let me, let me share with you the spirit behind as I give voice inflection to the passage if you believe in your heart That Jesus has been raised from the dead. And you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Boy, you got to be saved if you live in Rome. Because the only reason you would do that is if you really believe it. Because there's too much at stake to just say it. Are you listening to me? That's what that passage means. America, you could say it and not even mean it. In Rome, you couldn't say it without meaning it. Because it cost you your life. So if y'all say it in Rome, you saved. <laughs> Ain't no question, you saved. You are saved, yes, absolutely. Because it cost you. This book highlights, Fox's Book of Martyrs, the, the attitude of people in the early church because the entire world was against them. And so persecution was the order of the day for every believer. If it didn't happen to them, they thought they were not being as good of a Christian as they should be. Which kind of flows into what Peter, excuse me, Paul told Timothy in Second Timothy, chapter three verse 12, "If you live godly in this life, you will suffer persecution, which, which if you interpret that passage correctly, it only, only gives you two options if you haven't suffered persecution. One, you haven't lived godly enough long enough, or two, you ain't living godly enough. You're not living well enough." I'm not talking about the persecution that comes as a result of living stupidly. Meaning you are out there doing things to prove you are Captain Christian and motivating and manipulating environments to somehow do what you wanted to do so you can make sure that the gospel is proclaimed, i.e., going to your supervisor, bringing your Bible, slapping it on his desk, saying, God has told me I'm a prophetess. And we are to do Bible studies every noon right here in the office with every employee. Thus says Almighty God. (laughs) Now, you probably won't have a job you do that. And because you don't have enough sense, you'll blame it all on people who are now not sensitive to the gospel. It's persecution when they just don't like you. (laughs) They just don't like you. The way you do stuff is just too nutty. To which, Peter says, make sure you don't suffer for wrongdoing. That's not the kind of difficulty we're talking about. We suffer for righteousness' sake. For righteousness, doing things the right way. Righteousness' sake. When you suffer persecution for righteousness' sake, you wind up being blessed. Now, when we talk about what's happened in the past, yesterday's issues... The writer of Hebrews has something to say about that And this is a fabulous passage You ought to get into it a little bit more And and, uh, allow the Holy Ghost to talk to you Hebrews 10 verses 32 through 38 Here's a group of people that were really living right I mean they were doing the right thing But they had issues about what happened in the past And they couldn't reconcile that with what God was about to do today And they thought they needed to be more blessed And he says, remember the former days In verse 32 how you went through some real trials. I mean, it was hard. It was so difficult that you were ostracized from all the community in verse 33. And not only were you ostracized from the community, but but people who who were ostracized that that people who were ostracized that you did not have any relationship with, even though you weren't being ostracized at the time they were, you identified with them being shut out. Now, we've all got our little portion to deal with the persecution in our life whatever your cup is you have to drink it I don't know many people that are trying to say can I sip yours too (laughs) Uh, your cup is full Lord okay I'm just happy I made it through my stuff most folk are not generally trying to pick up other people's issues But these were real, serious, loving, kind, beyond themselves, ordinary Christians. They not only were able to suffer what God had portioned for them, they looked at others out there, and when they saw them suffering, they went and stood by them and said, their last name is mine. We got the same daddy. You deal with them, you got to come through me. I suffer when they suffer. Most believers who just say, I'll take a step back. I love you, I'll pray for you. Some amazing Christians. And I I hope that someday you have the privilege of identifying with somebody else's sufferings. And taking them on as your own. I hope you do. It allows you the opportunity to fellowship with Christ in ways like you never have before. And there is a blessing that comes from that that's beyond any material thing you will ever receive. There were some brothers of mine years ago who were going through difficulty, guys with whom I walked. And in large part, they had done everything right. And they always had the right motivation. But there are a couple of things that could have been done better. They weren't sin, but they just weren't done as well as they could have been. And there were a bunch of folk that came against these guys with all their might. Just blasting them. People they thought they were their friends. People they had walked with in the house of God. And I mean, they came with vitriol. It was ugly. And I said, I ain't done what they've done, but I'm going to act like it. People are going to be able to confuse me as being right in step with them. Now, as I talked to the people who had done the things not as well as they should, I said, you know, that needs to change and that needs to change. and that ne-. But I said, I'm with you. And, and, and so we're not talking about putting stuff under the carpet, just acting like it didn't exist. We're talking about real transparent conversation that allows for substantive change in the lives of people that could do things better that weren't doing them as well as they should. But to the people who were persecuted, I did not give them the time of day with explanation. I let myself be confused as being just like those other fellows because they were coming out of the wrong spirit and didn't deserve one. They were persecuting people who were doing and trying to do the right thing anybody do anything perfect in here is there anybody that can be confused with perfection in the house that at some point you're going to make a mistake even though you be well intended and you will wish that people would give you the mercy that you think you deserve we're not talking about just winking and acting like it didn't exist Talking about dealing with stuff, but not coming out of the spirit that these fellows or people who do so when they persecute come out of. They look for any opportunity. And rather than looking for the opportunity to apply mercy, they're looking to pounce like predators at an opportunity that's chasing prey. It's horrible. And so I suffered loss. And the loss was great. Loss was great. And every once in a while, I'll have a moment to just reflect back and say, Lord, what was that? You know, I didn't get this, and I got fired from this. And I'm just saying, what was... And as soon as my mind begins to go down that road, which is full of doubt and unbelief, questioning, leading toward questioning him rather than asking questions, I reign in my soul in a hurry by the grace of God. I said, no, no, don't go there. It was a privilege of your life to be able to identify with their weakness. It was a joy to be able to suffer with them. Because you identified with me and you got blessed beyond whatever occupational blessing there would have been in retaining your position wherever you lost it. You got blessed with me. In ways like you never would have otherwise. And I understood more about what it cost to redeem me. Because somebody, before I identified with somebody else's issues, somebody had identified with mine. And went to a cross and took my whooping. Died my death. And did not, did not at the time say, he's worthy and I'm more innocent but... No explanation at all. He just took it. I said, Lord, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that, and I am not going to complain one moment. Not one moment. And in the process, ask God to forgive the people who are doing the persecuting. Not just me forgive them for persecuting, but Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There is a blessing that I have gotten from my life through that ordeal, and many more like them, that I wouldn't trade for any material moment. Nothing. Paul says, excuse me, the writer of Hebrews says, You went through some tough times. It was difficult. And uh, like I saw that you identified with people. He said, Amazing. Now, Make sure now, even though you identify with people who were messed up and, and at that time you weren't, you even lost your homes, you, you visited people who were in prison, they, you, they, took, they seized your home as a result of your belief. Now, do this for me. Don't lose your confidence. Simply because you're not able to reconcile all that pain with your present reality, that the scales don't balance the way you think they should, don't lose your confidence that somehow God... Is not moving in your life. Don't lose your confidence to believe that he is still working actively trying to get you to where you ought to be. Do not let your ship get wrecked. You are still on the path. And simply because you cannot reconcile that which happened yesterday doesn't mean that your today should be affected. You still walk by faith. And do not let your singular moment affect your entire life. Let your entire life that has been lived in God and blessed by him affect your singular moment. That's how you look at the past. Blessed are you who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Blessed are you. That's how you have to look at it. And... He says that the blessing is, is not just in the moment In that you get to identify with what it means to suffer But the blessing is also the fact that you get, you get, you get heaven as an inheritance For yours is the kingdom of heaven Now that's not just talking about the location of heaven We always point up, but it's really another reality It's not just a location It's the reality of his rulership wherever he exists it's the presence of God and Him bringing His goodness and His mercy and His kindness and His grace and manifesting that in your reality. That's what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is about. Interchangeable terms. He says, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the beauty is this. When we die, we get glory. We, we get to go to heaven. And so, if you are privileged enough to give your life in sacrifice for Christ's purpose on the earth to help progress the gospel... You get to go straight to glory. It's wonderful. Now, all of us are going to die. At some point, these bodies are going to expire. Say that Jesus come back before we all pass away. I get that. But, but I think probably that we're all going to have a funeral. That's my sense, that all of us are going to have a funeral. If, if we're going to have one, and, and since we have already died, I mean, when you came into Christianity, you had to pick up your cross and follow him. And then, if it wasn't clear enough, Paul says, I die daily. And if it wasn't clear enough after that, Jesus said before that, really, he said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. So it's not just a one-time picking up your cross and say, well, I gave my life to Christ back then. I give my life to Jesus today. I don't get resaved. I just rededicate all that I am to him in an intentional way so that I don't miss something today. So my job... First and foremost as a believer is to die every day. To not live for me, but to allow the presence of God to manifest himself in power so that the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, Galatians 2.20, who gave himself for me and loves me. That's how I live every day. So if we die, what is death? If I'm already dead, what is death? (sighs) Now, I realize you'll miss me. Help me. Help me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I realize you'll miss me. And I'll miss you. But I will be happy. (laughs) I'm done. Done. Done no more struggle in this life to try to stay right and love God and people who are unlovable (laughs) no more dealing with my own flesh and overcoming on a regular basis just trying to, to make sure that I don't deny my Lord and keep my witness I'm done and heaven is beyond comprehension or description whatever the word says it does its best in language which is really a second form of communication because there's no way human language can express who God is best. It's flawed in its orientation and we're flawed in using it, so it's flawed squared. There's no way that we can do it, but we try our best and even trying our best, heaven is much more beautiful than anybody could ever describe. And it's incomprehensible, even in our minds, to take it all in, all in, even when we are there. It's one of these moments that constantly wows you because he opens up. You see, here we got this veil, and we're not quite sure what everything looks like, and we have to pierce through the reality of. Of the temporal in order to understand the eternal. And it's hard for us to get it because all we see is temporal. So we got to move all that stuff away and push away the clouds. Oh, I see it. And every once in a while we get this huge revelation. We go, whoa, that's amazing, God. You're great. And then we just worship and holler and scream and shout. And oh, God. But see, when we're there, we see him as he is. And and I mean, when you see him as he is and you see the nails in his hands because he gets to keep those as battle. Uh, battle scar, those battle scars as trophies. And in his feet and his side, you just sit there and you go, wow, wow. wow. And, 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 and as soon as you get an insight into that insight, he shows you another thing because this person is infinite. It's infinite. And so as soon as you're full with that, he gives you something else you go, wow, Whoa, wow. And as soon as you're done with that, wow, wow. And it just goes on and on and on and on forever. I'm doing my best to try to explain to you how incomprehensible it is, which is oxymoronic, because how can you explain incomprehension? (laughs) So when you get to heaven, you're happy. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, it's amazing. But the tough part is how you get there. You're concerned about how. And all of us just basically want to wake up in glory, don't we? I mean, we just want to go to bed one night and wake up in heaven. No pain, just whoop, oh, hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> but what if it does not gloriously happen like that? Boy, I'm thinking, you know, I got, I got one physical death one, Jesus, if you choose to let me give it for you, what a privilege if somebody says deny Jesus or I take off your head I say swing, swing make it an accurate shot accurate, please, graduate me in a hurry let me go out like that if that's the way you want me to go out. If you died, then what's death? So you get heaven afterwards. But we also get a little bit of glory here. Peter says that if, in, in chapter 4, 1 Peter, he says if you identify with Jesus in, 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 in a great degree, To that degree, his glory will rest on you. To the degree that you suffer with him, you will also be revealed with him here in glory. That there is a suffering that allows you the privilege of opening up a fellowship with him that you would never have otherwise, ever. And that's why glorification always comes through suffering. Romans eight seventeen. If we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him. And while we are here, we get the privilege of seeing him in ways like we've never seen, of experiencing what it means to let the kingdom come on earth just as it is in heaven. In our own personal lives, our homes benefit from greater manifestation of his presence in our lives. We get to inherit the kingdom of heaven now if he chooses to allow the persecution to not be that which takes us to glory by the expiration of our physical body, we get more of heaven here. More of his presence. A sweetness like you've never had before. It's amazing. And let me close. What do you do with persecution now? That's how you handle the past. What, What do you do with persecution now? He says, blessed are you when people insult you. And say all kinds of evil things about you and lie. lie. Blessed are you when that happens. And, and, and he says, this is how you ought to respond. Hallelujah! Yeah. That's the paraphrase. Rejoice! He says, re- he says, rejoice when people lie on you. When they say evil, and when they say, when they call you all kinds of names, rejoice because. You get to identify with the prophets of old, one. Two, there's a reward that is happening in heaven every time it happens. There's a deposit that God puts in your bank account, if you will, every time somebody treats you bad for the sake of righteousness. Because you're doing the right thing, they treat you bad, you get a reward. So, God wants you to respond like, this is why he gave you two ears. You need to listen to all the people who are saying bad things and lying on you. With the other ear, you need to listen to the cha-ching of heaven. Oh, that's terrible. That's not true. Oh, my, you can't do that. Cha-ching. Okay. All right. Bring it off. Cha-ching. Oh, oh, cha-ching. Oh, cha-ching. Well, that was double portion there. That one was a double portion. I'm telling you. Cha-ching. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. We're so myopic, all we think about is the present. Jesus wants you to know, you don't know what's happening. You have no idea what's happening in the heavenlies. Every time somebody treats you bad because of me, I reward you in glory. You may not see, you may not see how the scales balance here, but when you get there, there is no, no balancing. The weight is far greater of glory. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. I consider the difficulties and tribulations of this present life. And he was talking about being beaten with rods, being in the sea a day and a night, being persecuted by brethren, being stoned, having no food, no water. He's talking about all these things that we would consider dire. He says, I consider these momentary light afflictions nothing to be even compared with the glory that is to be revealed. So when I say the scales don't balance, I don't mean they balance to the negative. They balance way over to the positive. That when you get to glory, you will be saying, I get that for that. Woo! I'm glad I did that. That's amazing. So weighty will it be that what you went through in the past won't even be a bad memory. You'll be so privileged. And you'll say, all for you, Jesus. And the beauty is you get rewards. Now, why in the world do you need rewards? Heaven has everything anybody will ever need. No lack in heaven. It's all there for you. Why do you need a reward? Well, I I, I think it's it's because the primary primary thing we're supposed to do with the stuff we have on the earth is to serve God with it. So we, when I when I pay my bills, I'm serving God by making sure my family is provided. I'm not just pr- providing for my family. Everything I do is brought through the matrix of obeying my God. So when you get to heaven, there will be things that God distributes to you as a result of your good behavior here, whether it be giving to the kingdom, whether it be sacrifice, or whether it be persecution that you endured for God for righteousness' sake that was in, in, that was done well. You get rewards. And I think he wants us to do the same thing in glory that we would have done here to serve him with them. How? When we see all those marvelous insights and revelation that we see in glory, who he is, what he's done, he gives us a a videotape that we get to run back and see what was really happening when that thing occurred, what was going on in the spirit, say, oh, I had no idea. I'm glad I did that right. Ooh, I wish, oh, I shouldn't have done what that, that what I'm glad I did right. You don't get a videotape of your bad deeds, that's for sure. That's all under the blood. But when we see what he has done for us, the first thing we will want to do is offer. You want to offer. And you want to have something to give. So what do you give except the rewards that he has given you? Don't come to heaven empty-handed. Don't. I beg you, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust nor time can deplete. Figure out how to do that through your giving. And when opportunity comes for you to stand up for Christ when it costs you, don't blink. Just do it. And turn your other ear toward glory to hear the cha-ching. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm I'm asking that you would pour out your goodness and grace upon everybody here. I thank you for the privilege of being able to serve you and the privilege of being inconvenienced with suffering for you.